0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I'm your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are here at episode 59. That is right, just one episode away from 60. And tonight we have a bit of a programming change. That's right. Now, as you guys know, I usually talk about NXT 2.0 on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, we've got dynamite, you know what that means. And we usually talk about Friday Night Dynamite for AEW as well. But I have decided that we are going to now take dy- uh, Rampage away. AEW Rampage, it's an okay show, but I think we should have a little bit of diversity, something different. I will be reviewing from here on out on Friday nights for our show, if you smell what the arch is cooking, WA Power. Uh, it premieres on the Fight Network on Thursday night and is on Friday night at 6.05 Eastern on YouTube. So we will now get to hear about NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, and NWA Power here on this show every week. In addition to the quick hits and what grinds my gears on weeks that those things do happen, I think it's going to make it a well, more well-rounded show. But since this is the first week we're adding it. This is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Give a listen to today's show. Let me know what you think of NWA being added once you've heard uh, the review for it. And um, let me know by reaching out to me on Facebook, on Messenger, anywhere you can get me on. And we will go ahead and either keep it or we'll dump it and try and add something else. Or maybe we'll leave AEW brand page here on but It's entirely up to the fans. So... Go ahead and pop open your favorite frosty beverage, strap in, buckle up, and get ready as we come on this ride for you to get a chance to hear me spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. We're gonna start it off with quick hits this week, and we have quick hit number one. Jordan Grace delivers a horrible cleat and then tries to use damage control, which only makes things worse. Now, last week, Jordan Grace went ahead and said that she believes the crippler, Chris Benoit, could not keep up with today's wrestlers, and that she also believes that he belongs in hell. She received a ton of backlash from fans and wrestlers. Say what you will about the man, Chris Benoit, and all he did during those gruesome murders of his wife and son and then committing suicide for himself. But the wrestler, Chris Benoit, in my opinion, is a treasure. People remember the good times, and when he put on some of the best matches he possibly could. It wasn't just fans, though. There were wrestlers as well, such as Conan, Chavo Guerrero, Chris Jericho. Actual friends of Chris Benoit came to his aid and said that she knows nothing about professional wrestling, and that Chris Benoit, to today, would be able to put up with today's stars if not blow them out of the water. Jordan decided to then retract her statement, apologize, and try to reach Chavo, Chris, and Conan, as well as the son of Chris Benoit, David Benoit, to put together a fundraiser, a GoFundMe, to give money to Concussion Awareness. This brought the sister of Nancy Benoit, as we all know her as a woman, the wife of Chris Benoit, who was murdered. Nancy's sister came out and said, you know, after all we've done to try to get people to stop mentioning the name of Chris Benoit, I thought we did a good job, but apparently we didn't, and look at what's going on now. Now, I think that Nancy's sister was saying it looks like Jordan wants to take up this collection and give it to cancer, to, excuse me, not cancer, concussion awareness uh almost like if she's doing it in chris's name and by involving daniel uh david benoit excuse me by by involving david benoit it just looks like she's praising chris for all the wrong reasons um so as i said she released a bad tweet and then tried to do damage control and now she's trying to get in touch with nancy's sister on social media Jordan Grace, to me, is a mid-card, subpar wrestler. Yes, she's got muscles. Yes, she works out and does a lot of powerful things in that ring. But she is sloppy. She is botchy, And in my opinion, she is making herself look like a fool with being on social media and doing things in that nature. I'm not going to get into that completely because we'll get into it later. But Jordan Grace, snap it. Stop condemning wrestlers, stop condemning anyone for that matter, and move on and just continue with your career if there's anything of it left. Number two, Dolph Ziggler turns face again. Last Monday Night at Raw, Austin Theory entered the ring after um, it was in the ring and had just got done winning a six-man tag. Dolph Ziggler entered the ring and super kicked Austin Theory Uh, thus, I guess, setting up a feud. Now, what I don't get about this first and foremost is Austin Theory is feuding with Bobby Lashley for the United States title and is the the money-in-the-bank holder. To add Dolph Ziggler to this, much less as a face, makes no sense whatsoever. Dolph was off TV since losing uh, the NXT title back to Braun Breaker, and um, now he's finally back, and it's just making no sense what they're doing with him. As we know... Dolph's former tag team partner, Bobby Roode, is back to using his glorious gimmick on out shows he's yet to be seen back on television. So it's just a wonder why they would do this with Dolph. Are they setting them up to become a face tag team? Or is Dolph once again going out on his own and going to become a face? I'll be honest with you. The Dolph Ziggler gimmick has run his course. But he works better as a heel. Not a complaining heel who says it should have been me and bitches and moans about his place on the roster, but just as a heel who shows off in the ring and does what he does and then drops the occasional decent promo for them to turn him face again and now have him feud with theory and possibly be involved in the feud with Bobby Lashley, which could then make the match a triple threat match at SummerSlam. It makes it very convoluted and it really makes it that no one's going to understand what the hell's going on. Because as we know, Dolph is a face he does have heel tactics as well so we're not going to be sure is he a tweener is he a heel is he a face what the hell's going on here it just seems like lazy booking and a last minute decision that maybe shouldn't have happened just so they could all add Dolph back to tv and finally quick hit number three wwe raw back to tv 14 rating the pg era is over or is it well why do i say that well yesterday on Thursday, a news report was released that WWE and the USA Network has said, had sent out um, memos stating that Raw will now be going under the TV-14 format and that the PGA, PG era was over. But then the USA Network retracted that statement and said that those memos went out prematurely and that Raw would not be TV-14 this week coming. I don't get it who released the memo Then was it the WWE that did it by mistake was (coughs) Was it some new intern who made copies and said oh I'm gonna hand this out just doesn't seem right if any indication though, if TV 14 is coming back I am happy for it and it's not because I want the raunchy stupid things like hot lesbian action or the uh, sex celebration between Edge and uh, Lita, or anything of that nature. I don't even care about the cursing, guys, because for the last couple of months, year, we've been hearing the word shit, bitch, and asshole on TV constantly. It's not about even the cursing. I think it would change the uh, type of matches that we have and the booking, if they can get the bookers to do a better job at booking the talent and allowing them to actually do things in the ring that they don't ordinarily do again i'm not looking for it to be a hardcore match central i'm not looking for there to be a ton of blood but i think that we could take the ban off of certain moves and allow guys to actually showcase themselves a little more if that is the case bring back tv 14. but if we are going to go back to that crash tv bs that we had when eric bischoff was there where everything was done just for the shock value I got to be honest with you guys, it's 2022, there's no such thing as shot value anymore when it comes to doing stupid little things like I mentioned just now. Um, And also, uh, you're going to have a lot of offended people. It won't be your general fans or even your diehard fans, but there will be a lot of people who will be watching your show and calling in and saying, this is wrong, that's wrong. And then you got a chance of being canceled. Who knows, though, maybe that's what they want with everything going on with Vince. And you know all the power shakeups that are going on. Maybe it's what they want. I don't know, but it will be interesting to see where they go from this forward. If TV14 is back, when it will be initiated, and what we will see coming out of it. So, with that being said, we now move into our show reviews, and our first show is NXT Uh, 2.0. Show starts off with a recap from the Great American Bash last week. And then goes to the outside of the Performance Center, where we've got Roxanne Perez, who's been attacked before her women's title match later on tonight. Uh, we've got Corey Jade sitting around wondering who did it. A bunch of, uh, you know, guys that are from uh, the Performance Center that are coaches and 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 producers trying to, you know, get everybody away and just check on her. It wasn't a bad uh, opener until we, let, we begin to see what's unfolding here, and I'll get into that in a bit. Opening match is uh, Giovanni Vinci taking on Apollo Cruz. Very technically sound opening match, and we even got a little bit of power mixed in as well. Both Vinci and uh, Cruz worked a great match. Zion Quinn getting involved was the right move here because it gets Vinci over and protects Cruz with the outside interference. Last week I said, "How are they going to do this?" Well, on any indication, he did it the right way. Involve Zion Quinn, keep the feud with him and Cruz going, and we'll see what goes on. Uh, Vincey gets the win at the 12 minute mark with a hell of a finisher. Really good opening match here. Cora Jade lets McKenzie know that she suspects toxic attraction is behind Roxanne's attack. She's going to make sure that they pay. Uh, lighting the bat outside of Cora here, but this is just the beginning of the who done it to Roxanne Perez that we will see go on throughout the rest of the night. Tiffany Stratton has a little vignette talking about Wendy Chu and their current feud. I think that this storyline is finally over, and Tiffany may be moving on. I hope that that's the truth, because she has improved in the ring, and I think that she could do with a, a better feud and give Wendy Chu to somebody else that she can antagonize a little more. Cameron Grimes comes out and tries to explain why he lost the Brown Baker, and he gets interrupted by J.D. McDonald. Uh They exchange pleasantries, and then J.D. takes a cheap shot at Grimes and runs off. This could be a really good feud for both of these guys. I like where it's at The Creed's and Damon Kemp watch their match back and express respect for one another. Robert Strong walks up and tells Damon Kemp that it's because of him that they lost the titles last week and then challenges him to a match next week. Roddy is beginning to get annoying as fuck and not in a good way. It's almost like his true uh, feelings of not wanting to be in NXT or the WWE anymore are coming out at the surface here, and he's taking it out on everybody I'm just not liking what they're doing. Also, a lot of talking going on already tonight. We head to the to McKenzie speaking to Grayson Waller. He said he could have won last week on points and should have. McKenzie reminds him that that's not how wrestling works. This is what I hate about this guy. What the hell does – I mean, I understand it's a, heel, uh, it's a heel's prerogative to make up excuses, but the truth of the matter is, is for him to say, yeah, I should have won on points last week, are we leading to a matchup that's going to have – judges and points involved because that's bullshit. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense in his promos, and you know, he isn't very well liked as it is, so doing an incoherent promo makes no sense here. We then finally go back to the ring, and we've got Carter taking on Tatum Paxley. This uh, matchup was put together last week uh, when um, Carter and her partner Cataragano uh, were uh, partying backstage. Tatum Paxley bumped into them, and then they got into a shoving match, and I don't know. (laughs) Nothing bad about this match, but nothing groundbreaking either. Paxley got the win on three minutes with a nice version of the roll-up. That's me putting it lightly as to how great this matchup was, if you get my drift. Joe Gacy makes an announcement that he is good at Druids. The schism will finally unmask and reveal their identities next week. I'm interested to see that because I'm wondering who it is, if it's going to be somebody new headed that you know that, that just got signed to nxt or it would be somebody that they are demoting to nxt and possibly looking to build back up uh we then shoot the saga watching last week's pool party video and he's being interrupted by duke hudson so we've had 15 minutes of wrestling and 30 minutes of talking in promos that's wwe lately in a nutshell and it just got worse because we go to a video pretty deadly entering the cowboy bar dressed as flamboyant cowboys And calling out and Jensen, this groundbreaking tag match will take place next week, ladies and gentlemen. Hudson takes on Songa. Typical battle of the big men, but Songa had control for most of it. Songa gets the win in four minutes with a big choke slam. He's dropped the Braun Strowman outfit, and it's now dressed like 1997 Goldberg. Von Wagler and uh, Solo sequoia hype their upcoming match tonight. Here's hoping that these guys get a good amount of time. We then hear from Toxic Attraction. The girls say that they had nothing to do with Roxanne's attack. Mackenzie continues to try and blame them, but Mandy says it's just everything falling into place for the champion as usual. Solo Scrooge and Von Wagner have their match, and it started out and ended as a fight. Both Solo and Von teed off on one another, and everything they had was put into this match, but the ending was terrible. For nine minutes, they just gave it their all, and then it ended in a double count-out at the 10-minute mark. I get protecting both guys, but let them go and just give them a shot. I mean, we get a vignette for Carmelo and Crick, complete with booty girls from 1990s rap videos. Flash Legends cuts a promo backstage while dribbling a basketball. Not interested in this war her match. Chase Yu is in the UK, and I can honestly care less. We're now at 29 minutes of uh, wrestling, and everything else uh, is 54 minutes of talking and promos. Um, Ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen Last Legend then takes on Indy Hartwell A three-minute match that saw a lot of punching And kicking Lash got distracted by all the Fire And Indy picked up the win The five new NXT women's recruits Are at the makeup counter And talking about who attacked Roxanne Perez Solo and Wagner come Busting through and are still fighting Have they been brawling this entire time? I thought they got separated Wow, okay Tony D and Stacks and Legato are uh, with McKenzie. Tony puts Legato on notice and says they need to prove themselves tonight. Elsewhere, Solo and Wagner are still fighting. And um, I I think I smell a no-DQ match in their future. But Solo takes out Wagner and then shoves Robert Stone in a dumpster. I retract my statement from earlier. This whole segment was actually very well done in that they let them continue to fight for the next 20 minutes backstage and just kept showing up in random spots. Tony D and Stax then take on Enos and Malik. Stax is surprisingly a good athlete, and it shows here tonight. Enoch and Malik are underrated, and I'm glad that they continue to get TV time. Tony D and Stax work together well, and with a little help from Legato, pick up the win in eight minutes. Nice match, actually. We hear from Nikita Lions and she says people are all over her social media and saying that she t- attacked Roxanne. No, they're not. I checked. I literally looked at her social media. No one said anything to her. Uh, she wants next for the women's title and knows that she can beat Mandy. God, I hope she can't, and God, I hope that's not what's going to happen. Another vignette for Axiom, and this is apparently the rebranded A Kid. I uh, guess he's not um he's he's a not a mass wrestler, uh, but he's going to be a mass wrestler. I just hope he's better than Zampara. Also, next week it will be J.D. McGue taking on Cameron Grimes and Briggs and Jensen defending the NXT UK Tag Titles. Against pretty deadly. When did Bridget Jensen win those belts and why didn't we know about it? Whoa. Mandy Rose cuts a promo again saying she and Toxic has nothing to do with the attack earlier. Cora Jade comes out and says she'll take Roxanne's place tonight, but Perez makes her way to the ring. She is ready despite her injuries. Now, I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. They had a whole who done it to Roxanne all night long. Um, they acted like if this was who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, i get it they were trying to hype up that she might not make it to the match but every time there was an interview someone mentioned Roxanne perez it was it was kind of ridiculous ridiculous so we go to the ring for our main event roxanne gives mandy a hell of a fight and looks like she's got the champ beat multiple times rose continues to fight back but perez counters and gets a two count and more than on more than one occasion Cora attacks Roxanne and allows Mandy to hit her running knee. Rose gets the win in seven minutes, and is still the NXT Women's Champion. Cora then attacks Roxanne after the match and says she's selfish. She attempts to hit her with a skateboard, but it breaks before she can use it. Why split them up a month after they've been together and a week after they won the gold This makes no sense. Uh, It had zero build also. I think there should have been a little dissension. A total of 47 minutes of in-ring action and a lot of talking equals three out of five this week. I had high hopes for the after the opening match, but then it all went to crap after that. AEW Dynamite is next, and we go to the ring to start off our show. You know how much I like that, and it is Wardlow defending the TNT title against Orange Cassidy. This was actually entertaining and was back and forth as it could have been for these two polar opposites. Cassidy showed some great aerial skills and had Wardlow second-guessing a lot, But the big man kept coming back. Wardlow caught orange with a devastating clothesline and kept the best friends at bay. He finally reversed Cassidy and hit a powerbomb to get the win at the 14-minute mark. Great opening match. We got to see highlights of Pac defending the Mid-Atlantic title in Red Pro. He and Shoto put on a classic, great matchup, and I actually wish we would have got to see it in its entirety. Pac retained. Good job by the new All-Atlantic champion. Chris Jericho is out next to respond to Eddie Kingston's challenge. Jericho says everyone Kingston has been friends with has been hurt by him and that Eddie isn't ready for a Bob Wyatt match. He says he isn't fighting Chris Jericho. He's fighting the Painmaker, and this will be their final fight. Very good heel promo here by Jericho. Kingston then responds backstage and shows what Jericho has done to Ruby Soho and Ortiz. He says he will... He will pay for his sins with every ounce of blood. And that he hopes that Chris brings the pain maker. Kingston shows why he's the best on the mic in wrestling modern, in modern wrestling today, in my opinion. Love a good Eddie Kingston promo. Moxley then takes on Tekushita. Uh Teknishita tried to keep it as technical the sound of a match as possible, but Moxley made it into a brawl and it turned into a bloodbath. The youngster continues to bring the fight and battled out of every submission Moxley applied. But in the end, he passed out to Moxley's bulldog choke. Moxley got the win at the 15-minute mark. Good match, but a little too bloody. Not every Moxley match has to be a blood, in, has to have blood and gore in it. I'm just saying here, guys. Christian Cage and Lucas enter the arena, and Christian tells Varsity blondes that they're annoying him. He also mentioned Brian Pillman Sr. and says that he'd be ashamed of what Brian Pillman Jr. has become. Christian is really hitting below the belt lately. He dispatches Luchasaurus to take down Griff Garrison and go straight to the ring for the match. This was a squash, as it should be. Lucha wins in two minutes and 30 seconds and then destroys both members of the Nazi Bombs by putting them both through a table. Love how they're building Luchasaurus. I hope that it continues. Uh, Wardlow kind of had that same build for a little while, so I'm hoping to go that same route. Tony Schiavone talks to the Jericho Appreciation Society. Dumbest name ever. These guys are acting like they need Ritalin, and then Daniel Garcia tries to act all cool and challenges Willa Yuta for the pure title. I thought this match got announced last week. All Out will be in Chicago live on pay-per-view. Wasn't forbidden Door in Chicago as well? Adam Page is now backstage with Tony, and he's dressed like Kurgan from The Oddities. Dark Order comes in and challenges the House of Black with Page as their partner uh, for John Silver and uh, Reynolds back in the arena, and here comes JR for hour two. I love JR, but it may be time for him to retire. He's messing up a lot and doesn't look very well either. We go to the ring for Jake Hager taking on Claudio Castanagli. Uh The battle of the horses, as JR would say, and both these guys just went back and forth with everything they had. Hager continues to prove he's underutilized and needs a push. Claudio shows he's one of the best in the world, and that massive powerbomb of anger was incredible. Claudio got the win in 13 minutes, despite the JSA's interference. Enjoyed this one a lot. The blonde announcer girl then tries to talk to Hook again, and he just doesn't speak. Seems like they've been kind of cooling off him a little bit, uh, In that Hook has only been doing backstage promos and everything like that when he's not talking or whatever, and I think he's had one match on Rampage in like the last month. Uh, We see highlights of Thunder Rosa in Japan. And her first singles loss in a while. Thunder and Tony Storm are now with Tony, and they get cut off by Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. I guess we're going to get this feud again, but I'm not complaining. Tony uh, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker was definitely a highlight last year for AEW. Serena Deeb then takes on Anna Jay. Uh, Serena Deeb had control in the early going and tried to make Anna Jay look bad, but the female dark order member made a comeback. She surprised Deeb a couple of times and almost got the win as well. Dee finally caught her in the single leg crab and got the submission win at the 10-minute mark. This was a great match, and both women looked good. Post-match, Dee would go of the league. and Mercedes Martinez comes running to Anna Jay's aid. Uh, is this the third face turn for Mercedes since she's gone to AEW? Uh, every month, it seems like they're changing her. Tony interviews Jade and the They bitch at one another and stokely guaranteed they are a unit. He says no matter what Athena and Statlander try, they're ready. We then get a rundown of ROH death before Dishonored, and Jay Lethal interrupts this feud. Simona, Joe has been lethal-cutting promos for the last month. When Joe, When is Joe coming back, exactly? I like a good Jay Lethal promo, but, I mean, he's done it all on his own. Also, we've had 54 minutes of great in-ring action and 39 nine minutes of talking in promos. That actually made sense uh, in, as it pertains to the matches coming up. Tony tries to interview Anna Jay, but Ty Condi comes in and interrupts, and they exchange words. Tay has become the new Brody, uh, Brandy Rhodes in that she looks good but is annoying as fuck. But I guess that's what they wanted out of her. Uh, we then go to our main event, and it's the Young Bucks versus Team Taz versus Swerve and Team Lee. This was as good a main event as I've seen in a while that wasn't a pay-per-view. Team Taz has a lot of potential and work great together. Swerve and Lee are innovative and go the extra mile, and the Young Bucks are one of the best tag teams today. That spot with Swerve jumping off of Lee's chest was sick. Nick and Swerve trading a lot of uh, a lot of different high spots on the outside was outstanding, and Lee and Hobbs were, were powerhouse. Hobbs were powerhouses, no pun intended. Lee took out almost everyone with a on to the outside, and Swerve hit his double squat stop. Swerve and Lee got the win in 19 minutes. Your winners and new AEW World Tag Team champions, Swerve Scott and Heath Lee. Really good main event. A total of one hour and 13 minutes of in-ring action and 47 minutes of talking and promo. AEW Dynamite was miles better than NXT this week, giving it a five out of five. And tell tell me, if you haven't watched it, go back and, and look look at it i don't care if you got a dvr and, and i spoiled it for you i don't care if you watch it on youtube go back and watch it there were highlights all over the show in my opinion and finally nwa power we start off with a recap of billy corgan's huge announcement last week as we talked about race for the chase it is a tournament to get a number one contender to the nwa world heavyweight championship held by trevor murdoch the winner will get a shot at the tournament at the title um, at nwa 74. i will say that billy does announcements the way that they're supposed to be and it gives it a very great old school feel when he's talking about the different things he wants to see going on nwa power then starts off uh, with a matchup it's uh, thomas Vladimir taking on uh adonis Uh, The former Chris Masters first-round tournament matchup, and these two were evenly matched. They went back and forth with reversals and knew each other very well. Lattimore got the upper hand and forced Adonis to fight back, but he reversed the full Nelson and threw Adonis for a loop. We saw a pop-up powerbomb, and Lattimore got the win in 11 minutes. Good opening match and a good start to the tournament. Kyle Davis is interviewing Mike Knox, and we find out Knox has a buy-in tournament. He was gifted to buy by Billy Corgan because Matt Cordona surrendered the NWA world heavyweight title last month and Knox was in the Cordona stable. So Billy promised to give each of them something because of Matt's selflessness by giving up the belt. Uh, He then also tells us that he now has a hatred for Billy Ray. Uh, The history between these two could lead us to a really good feud. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen. May Valentine is then interviewing Kerry Morton, the son of Ricky Morton. He's going to wrestle Homicide for the junior heavyweight title at NWA 74. I personally think Homicide would destroy this kid, and I kind of hope that you know we get a good match out of him. But we know Homicide is like Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, and that he just goes balls to the wall. Brian Myers then took on the Pope in our second uh, race for the Chase Tournament matchup. Contrast with styles here as the Pope tried to remain technically sound, but Myers used every cheat in the book. Pope looked good in doing so, and the crowd was heavily behind the Pope. The match slowed down a bit, and Myers gained control. They traded two counts, Pope began fighting back with rights and lefts, and then Myers rolled the Pope up, grabbed the middle rope, and got the win in 10 minutes. It was good in the beginning, but it got slow and sloppy at the ending, and that ending was a little rough. May is backstage with Iris and his crew, May gives Tyrus compliments, and he gets all happy. Black G's then lets him know who his next challenger for the TV title is going to be, and he says he's ready. The guys with Tyrus are kind of like CAWs in a video game, you know, creator wrestlers, and that's not a compliment in any way, shape or form. Allison K then then takes on Killin' King. Both women showed off in a hard-hitting battle. K has shown that she still has a great career since her time in TNA and proves she can still go king is someone new that i'm new with but she showed off a lot of greatness k tried for her finisher multiple times but he fought and eventually hit her finisher and picked up the win a big win in my opinion at the 10-minute mark kyle then interviewed killing uh, and uh she was asked how she learned so much about nwa women's champion camille that they were able to stand toe-to-toe during their last matchup Uh, She informed Kyle that Bully Ray, Camille Strainer, was the reason behind it and that she will continue to pursue becoming the NWA Women's Champion. Interesting storyline beginning here. I like where it's going. May then interviewed NWA World Champion Trevor Murdoch. She asked why Trevor had the ban on Tim Storm receiving an NWA title match lifted. Now, for those of you that don't know, Tim Storm challenged then World Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis. He put a stipulation that if he beat Tim Storm, he would not get another title shot ever. Well, Trevor Murdoch went to Billy Corgan and he had the ban lifted, so that Tim can battle in the chase, race for the Chase tournament. He explained that he wanted to do it so he could face the best of the best in the NWA, uh, and it's the right thing to do. He also gives a warning to whoever wins the tournament that he's ready, and they are going to dance with the devil when they get in the win. We go to the main event, and it's Nick Aldis, the former three-time NWA champion, taking on Tim Storm, again, another former NWA champion. And as technically sound of a main event, as I've seen, with both Aldis and Storm putting out a great effort. Aldis began using some heel tactics and this puzzled Storm and the announcers. but he worked better as a heel anyway. Uh, the elbow from the top rope by Aldis was picture perfect, and he almost got the win with his Texas Gloverleaf. The ref took a bump. Storm hit a boss man slam, but there was no one to count. Aldis then smacked Storm for the third time during the match. Storm finally lost it and kicked him with a low blow. The ref saw it, called for the DQ on Storm. Your winner at 10 minutes, Nick Aldis, was a good match, but a bad ending. There was 41 minutes of actual in-ring action here this week and 19 minutes of talking and promos. And I will say that NWA was perfectly paced, but the slow and sloppy ending to the Pope and Myers match and the ending to the main event have me scoring them a 3.5 out of 5. It's only week one of adding the NWA, so they can definitely grow, but will they? That is entirely up to you. And now, finally, what grinds my gears this week, and it is wrestling, wrestlers and Twitter and social media. I said it during the Jordan Grace uh, part of the Quick Hits, and I'll say it again here. social media for wrestlers is bad why because one they break character too much two when they try to stay in character they end up saying something stupid and offending somebody and i don't mean as a heel but i mean saying something like oh chris benoit belongs in hell but he would get circles wrestled around him by today's wrestlers or chris jericho saying recently that fans are wrong there's no such thing as botching and wrestling Or Ric Flair going on social media and saying Chris Jericho is nothing but a Shawn Michaels wannabe. If you are not in the spotlight, use Twitter all you want. Use social media. Use YouTube. But these wrestlers are in the spotlight. They have got their life already under a microscope. And they're using social media like a bunch of 15-year-olds who got a problem with one another. They're not using it to get themselves over. They're not using it to further their careers, and they're not using it to bring uh, uh, awareness to something. They're using it to throw pot shots at one another. Wrestlers have been doing it since AEW opened. WWE wrestlers have been doing it to AEW wrestlers, and vice versa. Even Impact Wrestling gets in the mix. All companies are at fault here. Wrestlers' social media should not be where they go to air their grievances with each other. Do it on television. Do it face to face like men and women. All this BS that happens on social media, all of these stupid things that they say to fans, the way that they come off to their fans, the way that they belittle their fans sometimes is ridiculous, okay? It's not them staying in character, it's them being assholes. If they wanted to stay in character, they would answer them like MJF does. Because MJF answers in character. Chris Jericho, however, answers like a 50-year-old who's pissed off that the fans aren't even thinking to criticize them. You understand? So it's getting out of hand. All wrestlers need to stay off social media or learn how to use it. Because they're getting caught and made to look stupid. And it's ruining the business. It's time to put an end to it. And I understand it caused a problem with Twitch and everything like that, but we're not saying that they can't stream or be involved in social media. We're saying that they need to stop airing their dirty laundry and their grievances on social media. That's where I stand. So with that being said, I am now done, but I want to thank you guys for once again listening and being here and supporting. Continue to support If You Smell What The Art Is as well as all the other podcasts here on the We Can Wrestle and WrestleNet Radio podcast family. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great night, and I'll see you all soon.